Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. February 14th, 2020. Welcome to our Valentine's Day show. Whether you're single, coupled, throupled, J- Jason, you know there's throuples, right? I don't know if you know this. Is something new? No, yeah. this is a new turn to me, yeah, John. Okay, well, we'll be talking about throuples <laughs> later on in the show with Dr. Ken Howard. Have you had experience with throuples? I, 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 I'm taking the Fifth Amendment. <laughs> All right, okay, fair enough. Uh, we've got quite a light up today, gang. We're going to start out with legendary activist Phil Wilson, who's going to be talking about Black History Month and what it means for our LGBT community. And then that yeah, will be followed by Dr. Ken Howard, who is coming back to talk about Valentine's Day and whether you're single or doubled or throupled or divorced or whatever it is, what it all means for people. And then at the end of the show, we've got two very unique couples. We've got a young gay male millennial couple who've been together a couple of years. One's a go-go dancer at Mickey's. The other is a best bartender, voted twice best bartender in West Hollywood. Uh, and that's a Spiro and Tyler, uh, who, who are young lovers coming on. And they're going to be on the show at the same time with Diane Abbott and Bernadette Abruzzi who've been coupled together for 23 years, lesbian lovers, lesbian wives, and it'll be an interesting crosstalk between two genders, two generations, what makes 23 years happen, and what does it feel like to be newly in love? It's all about love today, gang. So we're going to start the love by talking about Black History Month, and we're going to be bringing in our first guest, uh, the legendary uh, Phil Wilson. I picked that song for you. I like that. You know who that is? Uh, That's Miss Etta James. I love Miss Etta James. Absolutely. Tell it like it is. Phil, I think I've known you, I don't even want longer than Jason has been alive. I'm sure that's true. That is for sure. That's a long time. (laughs) (laughs) That is for sure. I think, you know, uh, here in uh, Southern in California, you have this spot in in the movement's history, uh, legacy of work, uh, as being probably, I think, the most prominent African-American uh, face in Southern California that's been working on the movement, what, 30 years? Yeah. Well, longer than that, actually, because yeah. I, I am, I'm going to be 64, and so uh, I started when I was 24, so 40, 40 years. Exactly. Definitely older than Jason. <laughs> <laughs> it's close, but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Black History Month happens every February. Uh, and I know racism isn't over. It certainly is. It isn't over. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that uh, the African-American experience and the LGBT experience are linked. They're not overlapping. They're linked. And just, I'd love to have your thoughts about it. Well, you know, I think that the African-American experience and the LGBTQI experience now are actually, I would, I would speak stronger than just overlap. I think it's more of a, a Venn diagram, you know, um, you know, um, you know, Barbara Smith you know, said about the women's movement, you know, uh, you know, the juncture between the black movement, you know, the nas- black nationalist movement and the women's movement for black women, you know, where she said, you know, uh, all of the women are white and all the blacks are men, but some of us are brave. Mm. Uh, and that speaks to also the intersexuality in the LGBTQI community as it relates to black folks. You know, and now we're celebrating you know, Black History Month. And I guess the, the question that I've been asked is, why should LGBTQI folks celebrate Black History Month? And I think that it's pretty simple. It's because it is our history you know, that uh, on so many ways, you know, uh, I think about and, and my political views and strategic strategically i always think about what is the right thing to do 
And I always think about also what is the most effective thing to do. Mm. Uh, and this is a place where we can have both those conversations. You know, we should be involved in Black History Month, you know, in the same way that we should be involved in efforts to celebrate women and efforts to celebrate Latinos and efforts to acknowledge the HIV AIDS epidemic because it is a part of our history. Mm. It is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. uh, we should be involved because it is also strategically the smart thing to do. You now that we need to decide literally every day and it's been something that as a community we've been struggling with for the entire life uh, life of our community who are we you know are we the special interest group that we are accused of being you know uh, or are we a people uh, that's striving for um, the best that this country can be no, and that is an inclusive country. That is a that is a, a country that celebrates all of us. You know, uh, and so uh, strategically, you know, we need to celebrate you know, and acknowledge our diversity uh, because it sets us apart. It mm. sets who we are. It makes us more effective you now in our efforts you now to talk about uh, equality in an LGBTQI context. Mm, very nice. You know, Baird Rustin. Um, uh, who was the designer of the 1963 March on Absolutely. Washington, gay man, mm -hmm. recently got uh, pardoned by the governor of the state of California, Gavin Newsom, mm -hmm. for a lewd conduct arrest mm -hmm. that happened that mm -hmm. in essence tanked his career. I mean, mm -hmm. I think he's probably one of the greatest examples of somebody that had both hats, but it was a different time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, you know, what's interesting about it, and it is a lesson, you know, that when Baird went to Martin Luther King Jr. You know, and began to work you know, as a central figure in the black civil rights movement, Dr. King knew who Baird was. No, uh, and 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 Coretta knew who Baird was. You no, know? and I would argue, you no, know, two things. Number one, you no, know, when when Strom Thurmond came out to attack Baird on the eve of the March on Washington, you know, um, Dr. King didn't back away. Mm -hmm. you no, know, none of those supporters back away, and it was a different time, and they could have. And quite frankly, now there have been experiences over time where human beings who happen to be leaders had clay feet when it came to these important decisions. I hate to stop you right there, but coming up next, we're going to hear what point two was, because Phil Wilson set two points right after this gag. We're talking to Phil Wilson here on Channel Q. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. 
I know my young millennial. You have no idea who that is singing, do you? Not at all. I know you know. This is what kills me. That's the incredible Marvin Gaye singing right on, which was a song about that period of time. Uh, we're talking to Phil Wilson, a legendary activist in the LGBTQI community and African-American community. Thanks, Phil, for coming back. My pleasure. Yeah. We were, you were talking about two things, Bayard Rustin, Strom Thurmond, and then you were think about to get to your second point. So. Well, the second point is that you know, Baird always understood who he was. You know? And so that also speaks to why we should celebrate m- m- Black History Month and, quite frankly, all of our communities that are part of our big tent that is the LGBTQTI community. And because he understood who he was, you know, he actually you know, really was, you know, represented a symbol on how to celebrate your whole self. You know, and, you you know, I think about Pat Parker, you know, when asked, you know, what would be a revolution? And she said, when I could take all of myself in a room and that when I go into an LGBT, well, in that time when she said when I went into a gay and lesbian space, that I didn't have to downplay my blackness. Mm -hmm. And when I went into a black poetry reading, I didn't have to leave my queerness behind. And part of our strength is as a community, you know, is really about lifting up all boats, you know, and the Barrett's Rustin story is about that. The Pat Parker story is about that. The Barbara Smith story is about that. You know, the other reason, you know, for us to celebrate Black History Month is so much of who we are is rooted in the contributions, you know, of black people and, and, and others in this movement. Where would we be, you know, without Pat Parker? Where would we be without mm. Barbara? Where would we be without, you know, Audre Lorde? Where would we be without, Reg, without Reggie Williams or Marlon Riggs? You know, we can go on and on and on and on. And so, you know, this kind of, of celebration is an opportunity for us to think about who we are and to declare that to the world uh, and also um, to kind of push forward, you know, in you know, all the various alliances that we need to be a part of, genuinely a part of, um, in order uh, to protect no equality on the basis of sexual orientation and all the other reasons why we want to create an uh, inclusive society. Mm. One of the benefits of you and I having like 40 years of doing this work is we have a, a, a timeline, we have a history, we have a breadth and, of knowledge in which to draw. And maybe that's part of just getting older, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think young millennials sit around and think about the stuff we're talking about right now? Do you think they ponder about their forefathers and foremothers and you know, and the contributions that were made and, and, and where we all are and find ourselves today? Absolutely not, but I don't think we did either, John. That's very true. You know? That's so, very true. So I, I don't think that when we were 24 and 25 and 26, we were thinking about things in that way. I think we had, we had a unique experience, and, and that was that, that we were living in a plague. Yeah. You know, I was 24. No, actually, technically, I guess I was... 23 when the the AIDS epidemic or grid actually happened you no know, initially but my awareness of it you no know, I was 24 I was infected when I was 24 mm-hmm. no and that that changed the trajectory of all of our lives yes. and certainly it, it required it demanded for us to have a perspective that maybe some millennials ha- don't have because they have not needed to have and thank God for that 
Yeah. You know, I think, and this is, that's a really good point. When we were, because I'm just a few years behind you, when we were in our early 20s, and normally there's a passing of a baton from generation to generation to generation, but the generation right before us and the one right before that were suddenly stricken with grave illness, and there was not a lot of time to figure out the baton passing. That's right. That's and right. In, instead, it was, it felt like we were just learning on the job, on Absolutely. the job training in the moment. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and now, being at a point, you know, 60, and looking back at all that, uh, and thinking about uh, things in a more contemplative way about what it what it all means. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess there's a, like you said, there is a part of it's about, you know, knowing what's right. And I think we all know what's right. And then there's another side, there's a practical, pragmatic exactly. side about what's possible today mm-hmm. maybe not in this moment but for the future and and so I, I think that's maybe that's just part of the wisdom of getting older mm-hmm. I, like you and I here we are I don't have a presidential candidate mm-hmm. uh, for March 3rd you don't either mm-hmm. uh, you know we're just gonna I'm gonna go in and vote whatever my heart and conscience say but there was a time I would have picked a camp been in there battling fighting in the primaries going the Democratic Party events uh, that's not me at this point I do think there is that no I think that that has been me, and that might be me in the future. This year is a unique year. You know, um, one of the things that I do find disturbing and is that I I've been involved in political work and presidential election level work for a long, 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 long time, uh, and there have always been primary seasons, you know, and I do not rec- recall a primary season on the Democratic side that has that has, was as vitriolic as some things are happening during this primary season, mm. uh, and I find it very disturbing, <clears throat> but at the same time, I think that it is born out of a panic, you know, that people are so afraid, um, and and that drives intensity. The truth of the matter is, though, that we cannot win from a place of fear. Now, we have to fundamentally understand and claim now that we will be victorious. And I think if we can do that, no matter who the candidate is, if we can do that, now if we can believe that our candidate, whoever you're picking in the primary, is going to be victorious, then I think that it reduces the need to attack now, other folks who believe that a different candidate is going to be victorious. Mm. Now, and I think that you know part of it is a perception that I certainly share, I assume that you share, that the stakes are very, very high. Mm-hmm. Now, and, and as a result of that, you can take... Two, two paths. One is to say the stakes are high and I'm standing in the place of unity. Or you can say the stakes are so high, you know, that we have to be all in, in with, quote unquote, the right candidate. Mm. And of course, the right candidate is always the candidate that you support, you know, who you cannot see any of, of, of their weaknesses, you know, uh, and you can only see the flaws in the other candidates. Quite frankly, you know, as you know, I think many folks in this community you know, are aligned with, on the Democratic side of the aisle, the truth of the matter is that, I, that ideology is exactly how the Trumpers feel, that they are blind to the failings of their candidate you know, and thinks, think that he can do no wrong. And where has that gotten us? How is that working for us? And is that actually a strategy that we want to embrace? Mm, good, really good point, yeah. I have to ask it. Uh, at the center of the um, black civil rights movement, for 
more than 100 years, there's been a, a notion of spirituality. God, the church, has been at the core of the civil rights movement. Is that same sort of dynamic at play with LGBT African Americans? Is there a spiritual oh, absolutely. core? There is. Absolutely. No, I, th- I think that <laughs> the thing that, that I think many people kind of forget or don't understand is as an openly gay black man living with AIDS, I don't experience my life in a compartmentalized way, you know? And so someone once asked um, Marjorie Hill, um, my good friend in New York, who is the black LGBTQI, actually they said back then, no, who's the the black uh, lesbian and gay Martin Luther King Jr.? You know, uh, and, uh, and and Marjorie looked at them and she said, Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. And so all of the truths that you know, are for black folks, you know, they transcend you know, sexual orientation and gender and what, what have you. Um, and quite frankly, I think that if, if we really sit down and think about it, there's some of that uh, that is true uh, within our larger LGBTQI um, uh, tent as well. Mm. Our time has come to an end. I hate this because I, I feel like I'd sit and talk to you for an hour, and, and I could and should. <laughs> Phil, thank you for coming by. My pleasure. I mean, gang, if you were listening wherever you were, those were pearls of wisdom being cast at our feet right there. I so appreciate you, Phil Wilson. My pleasure. Thank you. Appreciate coming up next, gang, we'll have Dr. Ken Howard talking about the meaning of Valentine's Day for LGBT here on Channel Q. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. The wonderful John Legend singing All of Me, which is a great opening song for our next segment. Welcome back. (laughs) Gang, we're here with Ken Howard, gay therapist to the stars. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah, we're not coming down as quietly. Ken, thanks for coming back. Thank you. It's Valentine's Day. It is. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. And you know, it's always such a weird, it's one of those Hallmark card holidays, right? Yes. What does this day mean besides buying flowers and candies and cards and for single people? People, like my producer here, who's darling and single and oh available. Oh my gosh, he's single? And available, That's ladies. <laughs> this day does not exist to me. <laughs> <laughs> to those of us in long-term couples, to those of us in long-term thruples, to those of us who are monogamous or poly, polyamorous, uh, I mean, what does it all mean? What does it all mean? Gosh, well, you know, I have a, a blog article that I kind of revive this time of year called Valentine's Day for Single Gay Men Coping with Hope. And I steal that from a, an HIV mental health conference. So I helped co-chair for many years, coping with the hope that things can change if we want them to. If, we, if we're single and we want to be partnered, we 
work toward that. And, you know, my background is, you know, I've been married now or a couple for 18 years, but I was, you know, single and an adult for many, many years in L.A. So I kind of know both sides of the, the single gay man's experience and the partnered or married gay man's experience. And then I use that perspective with clients on this issue because, you know, sometimes it's about with couples how to make the day special on Valentine's Day, rituals, the rituals that support a relationship over time. And I, I think ritual is important. And then for single guys, it's coping with, you know, Valentine's Day is the day that, you know, the frustrations of being single when you want a partner it can cause loneliness because it's just so in your face. Right. You know, the, the whole day long. And I just like to suggest, uh, you know, different ways of looking at the day, you know, that it's maybe not a day about just lovers or couples. Maybe it's a day about affection. Hmm. You know, yeah. For everybody. Uh, Maya Angelou ended up. A speech one time at a conference I was at that said, you know, she said romance is not just two lovers holding hands on a beach. That, you know, um, romance and the idea of a of a sweet affection can be when a, a grandmother reads a story to her grandchild, or uh, when uh, a parent holds their toddler's hand walking around the mall. You know, she said the romance can be any time there is a particular sweetness of love exchange between people mm. not yeah. just lovers yeah very good i'm in the process of, I, I know you're writing a musical i'm writing yeah. a musical too cool. yes we're both writing musicals <laughs> and one of the songs that i've written uh, deals with a real life friend her name is pat callahan she's up at uh, she lives at the russian river now uh -huh. but uh, she and i met at the beginning of the aids epidemic and it was a it was a frosty first meeting it was not warm and cuddly right oh, i had oh. no use for lesbians this is back <laughs> this is back in the early 80s don't send in those nasty cards and <laughs> Early 80s, I had no use for lesbians. She had no use for gay men. And we developed this friendship and this relationship that has now spanned 40 years. Wow. And it is love uh, in its deepest sense because there's no physicality attached to it. There's no sex attached to it. There's no romance attached to it. But it is the deepest love that we have for one another because of the journey that we took together. Mm. Uh, and, those, and, and I know she feels the same way about me. I've been trying to get her on the show forever. She's like, I'm not going on your show. We got too much uh, to talk about. But uh, I think that's the kind of love that you're suggesting. The love doesn't have to be bound in any particular way. Yeah. I think especially now, I mean, just this week, I, I think since uh, the political stuff trumps acquittal, you know, it's it's been like a funeral home at my office with people coming in and just being depressed about it. And there's there's such a coarseness going on, you know, his tweets have such a coarseness and i think it's bringing out the coarseness in people mm. and in a way valentine's day is runs antidotal to something like that you mm. know because it's about affection it's about warm fuzzies and it's about kind of appealing to our better natures and so this year especially i think valentine's day has a a historical timeliness to it. Yeah. There was a book written, I want to say back in the 80s, about, called The Gay Couple. Did you ever read it? Dr. Drew Madison and his partner yeah, wrote it. Yeah, they Madison talked about and McCorder. McCorder, that was yeah. it, about the various stages in gay, and I guess presumably le lesbian relationships, that there was the sort of finding each other, and then there was the romance, and there was the nesting, and then uh -huh. there was the settling, and then there was the compromise, and then it was to the point where after 20 years, you're kind of 
okay, I'm stuck with you. <laughs> or yeah. whatever, whatever it yeah. was. But it was a really good, I thought, presentation because a lot of our relationships as LGBTQ people don't fit the traditional heterosexual model that we saw on television or movies, yeah. right? Yeah, that's one of the big things I kind of I kind of toot my own horn about being, you know, a gay men specialist therapist for 28 years now and it's because I, I think you really have to know the differences in detail. I, I think there's a lot of straight therapists who are very, very well-meaning, but they kind of don't know what they don't know about the differences. You mm-hmm. know, when you're talking about two women and two women's psychology entities in a household or two or more you know, male entities in a household, you know, what stays the same and what's different between gay and straight women or um you know, you're talking about, it, there's a lot of issues like with two big male egos and especially how we're socialized. You know, two gay men are, you know, socialized being raised with male privilege and sometimes white male privilege and sometimes class issues and sometimes, you know, education privilege or not. And so, you know, all of those things, issues of power and control really come into play i was just i teach a a course on couples therapy at usc and yesterday we were talking about how power and control pursuer and distancer and dominance and submission not in the bdsm way but just in dynamics um that's part of couples in general Hmm. and then when you combine that especially with my specialty working with gay men you combine two men who've been socialized to get their way by society right it it doubles it you know it really magnifies that so mm. you know how do two men who are the boss compromise because in general you know men aren't used to compromising it's ask a lesbian they're like yeah male privilege dominates more so than a lot of men realize yeah and then of course on the other side lesbians I, i'm gonna ask you there's a lesbian couple come on and after you there's a, uh-huh. that joke uh, about what does a lesbian bring to a second date right are you all yeah <laughs> yeah ready to, like settle down and move in <clears throat> and, and spend a lifetime together coming up next gang when we come back we talked to ken howard more about the dynamic of love in our lgbt TQ community here on Channel Q. <laughs> a little Tammy Wynette for you, Ken. D I V O R C E. Stand by your man. That's, uh, that's Tammy Wynette singing Divorce. We're talking to Ken Howard about Valentine's Day. And, and I think for a lot of people who are maybe out of a relationship, broken up, single, widowed, uh, you know, this can be a really depressing day. And people feel like maybe I failed. Because I'm not coupled up. Yeah, what, yeah, what yeah. It can be. It that? can be. You know, one more thing for you know gay men to feel bad about themselves about. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like they needed more. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of you know I'm older now, and I did a lot of reflection on my younger years when I was you know single and and really bitter about it. <laughs> and you know, and it was kind of this existential thing. You know, Cher said, "I've been rich. I've been poor. Rich is better." You know, I've been single. I've been coupled. I think coupled is better. Kind of, you know, shout out to my husband, Michael. Um, and, uh, you know, but um, I really had to come to terms with what was going on that, you know, my own therapy helped about, you know, why was I single for so long? Some of it's the serendipity of meeting the right person. There has to be that synchronicity of you falling in love with them at the same time they fall in love with you. And if, if you don't have a match, you know, you've got to have a unanimous vote on having a relationship where the motion doesn't pass. Yeah. You know, if you get one black ball or one thumbs down, 
you know, the motion doesn't carry. So, but I think also guys need to be really tough on themselves. I always say, don't be tough on yourself. You know, look at your negative self-talk and change it to positive self-talk. But there is a place for confronting yourself about what's keeping you single. And that was my theory. And, and my mentor, Michael Chernoff in New York, wrote uh, an article uh, called Chronically Single Gay Men in Search of a Partner. And some of that was about... You know, are you putting the priorities on the wrong thing? I have a blog article called uh, Dating Mistakes about, you know, putting the emphasis on cash connections and something else that begins with a C. <laughs> and, um, uh, okay, I figured it out. <laughs> you know, uh, for side screens. You know, because I think if you want a relationship for the wrong reasons of, oh, this guy can do something for my career, or oh, this guy will keep me from, you know, having to work for a living, or oh, this guy is you know gifted somewhere (laughs) you know it's um that might matter in the very very short term and for kind of very superficial values but it doesn't endure you know that's not going to take you into you know being the old couple on the beach holding hands in your 80s kind of thing so you know i think you have to the right priorities in in my case you know i'm sorry i didn't like my parents relationship my father dominated my mother and i didn't like that and i think i kept myself single because i didn't want to repeat my parents relationship Mm. and i've kind of helped guys with that since then about are you unconsciously avoiding relationships because you don't want to repeat your parents relationship or because you don't want to be held accountable in a sense to a partner you don't you don't want to make you know a commitment even in non-monogamy you still have to have a sense of a series of contracts and commitments Mm. um are you afraid of responsibility do you feel fundamentally unworthy these are all things that therapy can help uncover is it you know maybe you're single because there's some stuff going on for you unconsciously that you're really not addressing or you're really not aware of Hmm. and then i think for other guys it's i want to ask people out and i can't because i'm dealing with shyness or social anxiety and then we look at how cognitive behavioral therapy helps people with true social anxiety and um you know self-consciousness and you know the skills you know it it takes social skills to go up to a guy in a bar or to send a message on an app or something like that and the fear of rejection and we have to reframe rejection from being catastrophic to being only mildly momentarily inconvenient right right <laughs> you know this whole construction of love and marriage is it's a 20th century construction because prior to the mm-hmm. 20th century marriage was about property uh, women didn't necessarily marry the person they loved. It was an arrangement or mm-hmm. a, a, about money or mm-hmm. property. And the whole idea of romantic love and marriage is something that culturally got created in the last century. Yeah. Uh, and including, especially in L.A. <laughs> especially in L.A. And especially for LGBT people, because as you described, some people came from households that, you know, it was not a great model for love and happiness. And so trying to figure out how to create our own. And I think what comes up for a lot of gay men in relationship is the idea of monogamy. You know, yeah. do I want to be monogamous in my with my partner like my parents were or were supposed to be? Yeah, <laughs> right. Supposed to be. Yeah. Or is there something more pragmatic about you know not being monogamous but being truthful or honest? Exactly. Yeah, I've I've done a lot of work. You know, in my process of becoming a certified sex therapist, we've worked a lot in that curriculum on 
consensual non-monogamy. And, you know, the research kind of shows that the, the duration and the levels of reported satisfaction are very similar in monogamous and non-monogamous relationships. There's no one relationship style that is demonstrably superior to the other. I think it's what works for that couple, even mm-hmm. if it doesn't work for their friends or around them, you know, it's they have a right to create the relationship that they want based on carefully negotiated contracting and series of agreements. Mm, that's awesome. We've got just a few uh, seconds here left. Ken, if people want more information about you, your practice, you have a website? Yes, I do. Uh, the website is gaytherapyla.com and I see people in my office in Los Angeles and also anywhere in the world. I have clients in France and London and Sydney um, and uh, we do that on Skype or FaceTime. But gaytherapyla.com is kind of where it all starts. They can message me or text me or whatever if they Wonderful. want to do some work. And uh, since I married you and Michael yes, to yes, each other many years ago. You uh, perform as mayor of the city yeah, of yeah, Yes, please send my love to your husband, Michael. Gang, by the way, Michael Ryan is gorgeous. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. is Ken. So is Ken. They're both gorgeous. Gang, coming up next, we'll be talking to two couples, young and old, two genders, about love in 2020 here on Channel Q. Uh, we are uh, going to have an interesting conversation coming up next because we've got uh, two returnees, two of my favorite people in the world, Diane Abbott and Bernadette Abruzzi. Welcome back, gang. Thank you. Hi. Good to be back. <laughs> so you two are going to be joined any minute now by two very young male millennials who are in the elevator lobby and almost up in the studio. Um, you guys have been together how long? 26 years. 26, I told people 23, I was off. 26 this June, so it's almost 26. My God. And you own a business together, and you've been together 26 years. The longest relationship for both of you, right? Yes. yes true. Yeah, Diane, I know. You had another one that was 20-something also. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's the secret? Well, we're looking at each other, hoping the other one tells you. Um, I don't know. You know, I think that that relationships ebb and flow and that when you're in a ebb, you have to really think about the fact that this is a really special person and start remembering what it was that made you decide to be together in the first place. Hmm. And that's what keeps the glue together for 26 years? Mm, no. No. Therapist. <laughs> Everybody needs a couples therapist. Doesn't mean you need to go all the time, but when you hit a real bump in the road, I think you have to be committed. And I think that sex has to be a really important part of your relationship. Wait a minute. <laughs> Lesbians have sex at 26 years together, Bernadette? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It's what keeps us going when we have an argument or we drift a little apart. We always come together in bed, literally. Wow. And um, that's a big secret. And the other part of it is to just... You are killing the whole myth of lesbian bed death right no, now. Not for us. Not for us. It's part of, a big part of our life. It always has been. And um, we really like each other. We talk a lot. We try to communicate. We are opposites as far as I love sports. She doesn't love sports. I love musicals. She tolerates them. I, I love poker. She hates cards. But we work it out. She reads. 
She reads. You I don't, don't read. I don't read. I have to be careful. I told someone a month ago, I don't read. And they said, well, you could still learn. And I said, no, I know how to read. I just don't like to read. Oh, that's so funny. But I get all my news on the internet and watching MSNBC. Wow. All right. So 26 years. I know you've got kids, too, right? Uh, Diane, yes. you've got how many kids? Two. Two. Plus two. And uh, they're they're full grown. And uh, they're having are about to have kids. No, 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 no kids. Okay. Gang, we are just, oh, that is so sweet. Here in studio, we have just been joined by Tyler and Spiro. Good morning, Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show, you guys. Let's give them a round Let's of applause. Give them a round of applause. Tyler and Spiro are here. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Tyler and Spiro. This is Diane and Bernadette. They've been together Hi. 26 Hi, years. Hi, guys. And Hi. how long have you two been together? Three years. Three years. And it's like I, 20 years in gay time. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's true. And 40 and years guys, in male gay time. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Spiro is a, a go-go dancer. Where? Mickey's or Why do you go Revolver? Go Mickey's, Revolver. Now I bar back, too. Okay. And Tyler has been voted best bartender in L.A., I think, two years in a row, and you're at the Flaming Saddles, right? I am. Thank okay. you. Okay. So you two are in these, like, sexually charged environments, right? The nightlife of WeHo. Every night, one of you is half naked. The other is getting <laughs> tips. And does that in any way impact or imperil your relationship? Well, when Spiro first got on the scene and uh, we were getting him jobs and gigs everywhere, the first thing I would say when I'd drop him off in his underwear, I'd say, go make friends, go get phone numbers, go get contacts, go have fun and be free and you're totally fine. Because I was confident in myself that I knew that like I was the best that he could get because I knew that I was gonna help him and guide him on the right path. And with my confidence of saying, you're fine, go have fun, be free. But I'm picking you up at exactly 2.01 every night. <laughs> I would never miss a beat and make sure that he would always come back home to me and then we would share all of our adventures. Me, on the other hand, dancing, it was like terrifying for me. I don't know why. I just was self-conscious and then I just, on top of it, I just didn't, I don't know. Well, because I think a, a lot of men are inappropriate, right? They're yeah. touching you <laughs> and trying to grab and putting dollars in your underwear. Of course, and, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was fun. I enjoyed it. it. It entertained a lot of people and I did have fun with it at the bar. Everyone was really sweet and cool and admired me but I also just first time getting up and dancing I was like oh my god I don't know if I can do this in my underwear <laughs> <laughs> how funny now these women over here have been together 26 years wow and and they were sharing the secrets of uh, 26 years before you two walked in what would you tell the guys so they're three years look at them they're how old are you guys 20 what 20 I'm 30 I just turned You're 30, 30. Oh, 29 29 and 30 at the beginning oh, of love, young love I thought you were going to ask us and you know, I wasn't going to ask <laughs> <laughs> What wisdom would you have to tell these guys if they want to get to 26 years You have to like each other You have to enjoy doing things together You have to decide that the pros outweigh the cons when you're having a tough time you have to find a good couples therapist for the hard times. And you have to decide that you're committed to this relationship. And that the most important person in your life is the other. That they're your best friend, your best lover. The person you would go to the ends of the earth for. They have your back. And yet you're separate people. 
And good sex. And good sex. (laughs) Okay, and on that, coming up next, gang, when we come back, we'll be hearing more from Tyler and Spiro and Bernadette and Diane about love in the LGBTQ community here on Channel Q. All right, my lesbian lovers, do either of you know who that was singing? Uh, I know the millennials know. Let's see. Bernadette? Not a clue. Not a clue. Diane? Oh, not a clue. Please. All right, Tyler Spiro, tell her. Rihanna. That's Rihanna. Oh, actually, we like her. <laughs> All right, so we've got two different generations going on here. Uh, Diane, you came out in the... 70s. 70s. Bernadette, you've always been out. I've always been been out. Spiro and Tyler, of course, weren't around in the 70s. I'm just going to point out. (laughs) So let me ask the guys, when when you were uh, first coming out in the 2010s, I guess, do you think you'd find love and marriage? Um, Honestly, um, congrats to them. I mean, that's amazing that they came out in the 70s. That's crazy different time dark uh, times I, yeah <laughs> i can't imagine but i know just coming out when i came out uh when i first came out i didn't know what to think uh or how to how do you say process a relationship it was very far and i didn't think that it was ever going to be honestly yeah, you know and then you're growing up in pennsylvania yeah right mm-hmm. in a very greek family yes. i assume very <laughs> very greek. religious <laughs> greek family and they thought that you'd have marry a woman, a woman and have kids yeah. and do all that the thing. whole not the whole what's supposed to be normal right. lifestyle unexpected but honestly i didn't think i didn't think i thought i was going to have to hide Right. For the rest of my life. You didn't think you'd find this lumberjack from Oregon yeah, in your exactly. life. <laughs> and Tyler, when you were growing up in Oregon, you think you'd find love in marriage? Well, my plan was to find love, never come out of the closet, move to California, and just like have two lives. So I had like secret boyfriends. Like his name was Devin, but his code word was Ashley whenever like <laughs> friends and family were around. And Ashley didn't have a, a picture phone or a MySpace or any photos of her, and she was totally incognito. And my mom was like, "Who is Ashley? Why, why won't you let me meet her? Is, is she a criminal? Is she pregnant? Is she on America's Most Wanted? Is she a guy?" And then I finally broke down. I was like, "She's a guy." And then I started bawling. And then she was like, "Oh my god, I had no idea. Oh my god, let's go inside. Let's let's do a shot." And Your I mom like, says, <laughs> "I had no idea," but she's asking you, she "Is it a guy?" Yeah, she, she, <laughs> she had an idea. She had an idea. I played with a lot of dolls growing up, so right. I'm sure she knew. So Diane, being raised in Brooklyn in an Orthodox Jewish family in New York, you probably were expected to. Married. Oh, and I did. And you did. You and married did. a man, and you had I married two, a man. two sons. And I had two children. Wow. And then you and decided. Then I, and then I decided to, I fell in love, not the first time, probably the third, with a woman. and Busy lady. <laughs> that was her wife that said that, by the way, gang. That wasn't me. I'm being married, not the first time, the second time. Wow. Did you think that you would end up marrying a woman in your lifetime? No, I did not. I did, I never thought that marriage would be a possibility. Seriously, when I did finally come out, it was the dark ages. I mean, there was nothing. There were, none of the organizations that existed today existed then. And it was very hard. So I had two little boys, okay? And the first group I found that was a lesbian group was in um, Ocean Park, Venice. And I went to the meeting and they, it was, um, it was a separatist group, and I didn't even know what that was. And they said, 
Well, we're, we're, we believe that all women who have boy children should give them up. <laughs> wow. So did you uh, enroll in that organization or did you walk out? <laughs> I walked out. I was, I was feeling really sad because I thought that when I came out, it would not only be freeing for me as a lesbian, but it would be freeing for me as a woman that I would be then in, an org- in a group, lesbians, where I could be strong, independent, and not follow the culture of the religion I was raised in. Mm. And it turned out to not be that way because I am a very feminine woman. And so um, it was very defined in butch and femme. And it really mirrored so much the non-gay culture at the time. And so I decided to organize um, the femmes. And so I came up with a slogan, Fems unite down with dykes. Oh my God. <laughs> I love it. Please address your complaint letters to Ms. Diane Abbott, not to Sidebar with John Duran. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay, so you guys all came out at various times, and there, there's a dynamic that happens along the line of gender that men are supposed to be the dominant one in the relationship. Women are supposed to be the submissive one in the relationship. That's what the culture dictates. For LGBT people, none of that works. So how is power and decision-making made in each of your relationships? Do you compromise? Is there more of a dom and a femme, to quote <laughs> Diane Abbott? <laughs> or how, how, how does the relationship dynamic work? We'll start with Bernadette, because she's like biting at the, the bit <laughs> over there. Um. Diane makes most of the decisions. Oh my God! <laughs> so not Clearly, true. Diane disagrees. Oh Where's God. that Ken Howard, the therapist? Let's get the therapist back in the studio. We have some live therapy needed. She plans our social calendar. She tells me who we're going out with. Um, we're making new friends. And she whines. And I keep saying, we have enough friends. I don't want to make a new one. And I complain and I go and I have a good time. The financial decisions are all mine because I don't know about you, John, as an attorney, but most attorneys are terrible with money. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. I take care of the financial, and the rest we kind of compromise on. You know, we like different movies, we like different things, and she loves to watch the news, which I hate at night, because I don't care who got killed and who got raped, and she watches all that and then wants to go to sleep. And she watches <laughs> MSNBC watch. constantly. I and love I, this! And I would just like to say that after a while, you've already heard it's five times, it's enough! <laughs> Uh, okay. so Sparrow, that, Tyler, what about you guys? You, well, I mean, how's power well, shared or decisions I, made? I believe versatile boys have more fun, so we take turns <laughs> okay. uh, being in charge and control, and we both know our strengths and what we're good at. I'm good. He's good at cleaning. He's good at organizing. He's good at <laughs> oh, you know financial, financial stuff. I'm good at making messes and spending money and uh, having a lot of fun. <laughs> the lesbians are nodding their head, and they're both agreeing with everything Tyler is saying, and they're identifying the role. Yeah. But um, yeah, we, it's all about give and take and sharing and you know listening. compromising and listening. Yeah, because I I sometimes I know how I am. I am I react real quick to things as far as temper wise or. I try to calm down because Tyler's very calm. He's a very chill person, so I listen to his advice, and, and I, he's good at calming me down. I get very anxiety a lot. Uh, but as far as he knows my strengths, so he tends to lean on me for my strengths, and I think the power is kind of equally split just to level us out mm-hmm. as people. 
He's got the passion. Like he, he's, he's passionate about everything, whether it's it's really happy or really angry about it, and it's so entertaining for me. <laughs> okay, so I'm getting the pattern here. You see Tyler and Diana, the cerebral thinkers, and Bernadette and Spiro are the Greek and the Italian. You are playing out your cultures perfectly. I love it. <laughs> that, that is awesome. All right, Tyler and Spiro, are you married? Yeah. Uh, no, no. Okay. Not, not yet. Three the, years. You don't need. You don't need to. <laughs> I'm waiting for the proposal to be something special. I want it to be a surprise, and I want it to be memorable and magical, and uh, something that can never be topped or beat. Yeah. And I wait special. for it because I'm excited for it. So he's like, "Where the hell is my ring?" <laughs> Constantly. Uh, okay. So in again, traditional culture, it's supposed to be the guy getting down on one knee in front of the girl, "Will you marry me?" And that whole again, it's a reversal of submission and domination. That's the cultural thing, right? Take you for my wife. In these couples, that doesn't work. So, Bernadette, Diane, who asked who to marry who? Diane asked me to marry her. Uh, how many years? How many years ago? Oh, no, no. This was back. Oh, I know why. Because you thought Prop 8 was going to uh, pass or? No. I said I wouldn't get married. I didn't want to get married during the Prop 8, during the window. I wanted to get married when marriage was completely legal. So we did talk about it during Prop 8. Um, I had asked you during Prop 8, and you said, no, I'm working so hard, and I believe in it so much that if I get married now, it's like I don't believe it's going to pass, so we're going to wait. You guys are making your decision on politics and finance. You notice they just shared about romance Romance. and tenderness (laughs) and the right moment. and is I mean, do you think that's a function of the time that you've each spent together rather than gender or culture? Well, I think we were, you know, we had a home together. We had been together 20 years already. And, you know, if we were newlyweds, or I would think that we would have probably ran and got married like a lot of people did. But we knew we were, if not on paper, we were forever soulmates and going to be together. So uh-huh. we didn't th- we didn't see the rush. Yeah. And we did bring politics into it, of course, like yeah. everything we do. <coughs> Coming up next, gang, when we come back, Spiro's going to teach Diane how to be a go-go dancer. Thanks for tuning <laughs> in here on Channel Q. Gang, I picked that song for one of our guests. That's for Bernadette, a bruisey, because I know how much she loves Whitney Houston. I will always love you. Thank Gang, you. it's our Valentine's show, and we are visiting with Bernadette, a bruisey, Diane Abbott, lesbian lovers and wives for 26 years, and Spiro Galanopoulos. Did mm-hmm. I do that right? You did. Look at me. And Tyler Booth, <laughs> uh, young gay millennial lovers together three years. And uh, before we enter up for the break, we were talking about the issue of marriage. But let's talk about sex, because obviously that is what makes us different from the rest of the world. I mean, is sex something that, okay, I'll, let me start the conversation. I'll start the awkwardness. Okay. My career partner and I were completely monogamous for the first eight years. Yeah. Then the lines got blurry. <laughs> to say the lines got blurry and continue to be blurry. Is that, for lesbians, the, the joke is, what does a lesbian bring to a second date? The U-Haul, because they're going to like move in and start a relationship, and they're ready to marry and nest and 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 monogamy. It, is monogamy something that is easier based on gender, or is it negotiable? Or what happens when people cheat? Because you know, clearly, we've all been in relationships where people have been unfaithful, and how painful that is. I'm just opening up the whole issue because it's really more than about sex. It's about 
communication, honesty, openness, trust. Who wants to start? Start. <laughs> Diane. <laughs> Ladies first. Uh, thank you. Um, so I think having defining boundaries when you first get into a relationship, I finally learned, is very important. And we talked about this when we got into the relationship. And my, our boundary is just not just mine. I mean, we, this is our boundary. If you decide you want to have an open relationship, you need to come and talk about it first. It's the cheating when you are with someone who cheats and lies to you about it is what's awful. Being honest in a relationship, telling the truth, I think is key to one of the things that keeps the relationship going. So we made that commitment. It was the only rule that we started out with, but it was the most important, I think, for both of us. You'd both been in relationships where there was cheating, right? That, yes. 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 yes you both were with other women, right? Yes. yes. So you learned that lesson along the way. Yeah, like Diane said, it's not a, the sex part is okay. You know, that's but it's the lying and the cheating that goes along with it. Now you're sitting next to somebody you're in love with, and you're, what do you do for lunch today? Oh, uh, I, you know, you start lying. Letitia. Yeah. You know, that, that's the point. We talked about it. We said we both knew. You know, we were both out of our relationships when we met each other, or close to it, and. Um, we decided that you know if we if that happens we need to go to the other person and say is that okay or we're going to just walk away from each other because the lying is what really gets to you yeah. sex mm-hmm. is easy it's easy to have sex with anybody but it's yeah. why you have to come home and lie about it to your partner you're laying in bed and you're like holding each other and you're like god I feel it's like such an ass that you know mm-hmm. I want to yeah. tell so yeah. Boys, I definitely know that firsthand. When I first met Spear, I was a dog, and I was having sex with a lot of people everywhere. And for me to turn that off was really difficult. To go from um, being single and go-go dancing everywhere and living my life to uh, I just met a guy and he moved in with me, and we're spending every day together constantly. To turn off that animal instinct was very difficult. And the, within the first three, four months, maybe even longer, I was cheating on Spiro, Mm -hmm. but he never asked. But when he did, it was like pulling teeth, but I told the truth. I never lied about it. And that was the only reason he's sitting next to me to this day, was because it was truthful about everything that I've done. And I've owned it, wear my battle scars with pride to show the world it's not worth it. It's definitely not worth it. And you can grow with that (laughs) to help make the relationship a lot stronger. I agree. I had been in relationships prior to that, and I think it was more the lying and just uh, putting me at risk for things. And then also just the constant lying really hurt and then, you know, making me believe that I was insane. But this time, you know, he communicated better and he shared everything and was truthful. And, you know, we talked about it for a long time. It was rough. But, um, you know, I think it was more the honesty and the communication was key to, you know keeping the relationship plus it you know you really love someone you uh i don't know you just feel it mm. i don't know and we've been having the bombest sex ever like it's it's the top <laughs> apparently of the so of the lesbians yeah. in 26 years <laughs> so it's like when when the cheating happened it was more like just animal instinct like oh i'm a man i have to spread my seed to everybody that's how the human race survived because we got everybody pregnant but it, after a while when you like can turn that switch off it's like i can have the best sex 
ever right. anywhere with one person because there's that emotional uh, connection that you can't share with anybody else. But I think it's it's anyone's, uh, how do you say, uh, their preference mm-hmm. in a relationship too is if, you know, I like you said, just communicating basically and making sure you have your, your boundaries and everyone understands their, their place is mm-hmm. being good in a relationship I don't think it has to be one way or the other I don't think it's wrong mm-hmm. yeah you know what I mean because it works things different things work for everybody else so you it's not wrong I mm-hmm. think this is the one issue or lesson we can teach heterosexual people by the way yeah. I think this can be our gift to heterosexual people about relationships love and sex I know when I okay so I've had many relationships over the years and when I was heartbroken once I was telling my mother God rest her soul about how horrible it was and why couldn't I have monogamy like you and dad and she laughed and she goes do you remember when we went to live with grandma for about six months when you were kids? I'm like, oh, I thought we were on vacation. Oh she goes, God. no, your dad was. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> but somehow they worked through it. They worked mm-hmm. through it, right? Stayed together for 50 some years. Yeah. It's just the stigma that the, that you're taught. I don't think that's love in specific. You know, I think love is trusting and listening to someone and understanding how what works for you mm-hmm. and it's a lot harder nowadays because back like when our grandparents were first met it's like oh my god you're you're cool you're cool let's stay together constantly because if i lose you i'll never find you again because we don't have phones or internet or anything nowadays with facebook myspace uh instagram twitter grinder tender bumber whatever they all are <laughs> we can all stay connected telepathically throughout everyone around us and the whole world so it makes it a lot harder to have a committed monogamy relationship. But the end-all, be-all is the reward of being monogamous. Monogamy is uncomparable, mm. and it's very important, especially the first eight years of the relationship. I don't know where we'll be eight years from now. But. <laughs> we'll have you back on the sidebar in eight yeah. years and see what's going on eight years from now. Yeah, yeah. that's that's wild. Uh, you know, we uh, I, I hate to like not give equal time to the one heterosexual in the room, but uh, Jason, listening to this conversation, I know there's certain rules. You're straight and you're Muslim and you're yes, single. Yes, yes, thank you. Thank all you. those things. <laughs> Listening to this discussion, what does it make you think about your own? What do you want to do? What do you want to do when you grow up, Jason? What do you mean? With, I'm already with, grown up, With John. a woman. With, I mean, because I imagine there's incredible pressure in the Muslim community. You're supposed to get married, have kids, and do all that, right? Yeah, I mean, but it's not pressure to me, in, in my opinion, like, like that's a normal thing in my mind like find somebody that you are meant to be with uh, connect with them grow old with them and have kids with them it's a normal thing and monogamy absolutely (laughs) (laughs) because Uh, it's just it's simpler (laughs) that's actually a good point it it is simpler that's actually a good point Uh, Yeah. All right. Coming up next, gang, when we come back, we'll have the closing end of our Valentine's Day uh, session. Thank you for tuning in here on Channel Q. Crazy little thing called love. Freddie Mercury and Queen. That's what we're talking about on the Valentine's Day show. Gang, we have got, I don't know, five minutes and then we're going to be signing off. So each of my guests... This is your moment for a concluding remark about life, love, the meaning of love. Uh, you know, a lot of people are sitting around probably listening that are single or widowed or sad or brokenhearted uh, today and not feeling the energy of Valentine's Day per se. What would you say to her or to him? Who wants to go first? I'll start. Spiro. 
I want to say, uh, if you're sitting home on Valentine's Day, I wouldn't be brokenhearted. I think I've been single and I've been just uh, freshly separated or without of a relationship on Valentine's Day. I don't think Valentine's Day is specifically just for that person you love. I think if you have love for anyone, for your mother, for your, for anyone, for a sister, I think you should share that love on Valentine's Day with that person or, and enjoy it. Enjoy self-love. Just, uh, you know, if it didn't work out or it's not something, you have to realize that it was never going to, and I don't think you should sit and stew on it. Um, but if you do find love on Valentine's Day, I think it's also an opportunity to celebrate. I don't think that you should be put a, be a downer on anyone else celebrating their love. I think you, everyone will find their love in time. You'll feel it. Uh, so I think in general, on Valentine's Day, I think you should go out and enjoy self-love, enjoy love that you have for someone else, or in, just in general, you know, if you are in a relationship, no matter how many years or months or days, enjoy that too. It's just a day of celebration. I don't think it's a day of sadness. Mm-hmm. And if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? Can I get an amen? <laughs> yeah, amen. Amen. Oh, thank amen. you, Jason, give me the amen. <laughs> I'll give you one. <laughs> <laughs> amen. <laughs> there, there's the amen. I love it. That was from the Greek. Your people invented homosexuality. Yes, by the way. I want exactly. <laughs> Bernadette, what are your thoughts? Well, I never quite understood the pressure that people feel and the sadness on Valentine's Day. It's um, it's another day, and I, I think it's a good thing. What was just said that you should just enjoy yourself, love yourself, go out and buy yourself five pounds of chocolate and enjoy it, and just. Um, Keep looking for love. You're going to find it. It's not about Valentine's Day. It's just it's a commercial holiday, and it's just a way for people to make a lot of money. But it's a special day if you have someone. And if you do not have someone, maybe set your sights on what you can do for yourself to make yourself ready to look for someone and to find love. You will find it. I promise. I love that. Tyler? I agree with everything you just said. Love (laughs) definitely finds you when you're not expecting it. They just fall into your lap organically. It's easy. It just makes sense. You make each other happy. It's unplanned. There's nothing you can do about it, and you can't stop it when you fall in love with somebody. And it's just, it's natural, and it happens. So don't be worried if this relationship doesn't work out or if you go through a breakup. It's all just practice for the real person, the right thing. And the godmother of a LGBT <laughs> world, the oldest person in the room, sorry. What wisdom do you have, Diane? Well, I think that um, that oftentimes people are not open to finding a partner to love. That there's something inside of them that is afraid. And so... It is so true that you have to love yourself first and know that if you find someone that you love and it isn't returned, that it's not a personal rejection. It's about them, not you. Because you are a very special person. Each of us is really special. So be brave. Talk to the person who you find special or you think could be special for you. And if that isn't the person, as long as you're open, that person will find you. So enjoy the day. Be grateful that you can enjoy the day. 
go out and do something incredibly wonderful for yourself and be happy to be alive. Yep. Very nice, Diane. All right, and I'll just do my concluding remarks with the minute we've got left. Uh, Gang, I want to first of all start by thanking uh, Tyler and Spiro and Diane and Bernadette for sharing Valentine's Day with all of you at home that are listening. Thank you all for coming in to the studio. It's a great Valentine's Day show. I really love it. And I guess I'll say as somebody who's been coupled, thruppled, the center of the party (laughs) (laughs) at the Hollywood Spa and everything else in between, (laughs) everything else in between, at the end of the day, the plumbing is not what counts. It is the love that counts and not the plumbing. And I think one of the things I've learned being part of the LGBT community is I actually love this community. And I love my lesbian sisters and my trans women friends and my trans male friends. And love doesn't hold any bounds. There are no bounds to love. And if you want proof, look at your dog when you get home because that is the purest <laughs> example of absolute <laughs> love is the way That's your the way puppy looks into your eyes. Woo. Gang, when we come back uh, next week, I'm going to give you a quick little preview here because next week we're going to have a woman who loves giraffes, Allison Reed. You heard me right. And the woman who loves giraffes uh, is coming in to talk. And we're also going to have a debate between three prominent women clergy members from the Muslim, Jewish, and Christian communities talking about women in leadership in the clergy from three major faiths. Should be a really fascinating, challenging show. So happy Valentine's Day, whatever you do. Jason, happy Valentine's Day. Thank you, sir. I hope you have a wonderful one. I hope you do, too. Uh, Yeah. All right. We'll see you all next week. Thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q.